Hello, and welcome to the Keys to Spiritual Fulfillment podcast, where we'll identify and explore ways that we can become the best human beings we can be. Compassionate, wise, loving, confident, and courageous. I'm Reverend Dr. Arvid Strabi, your host, and I've been helping people grow spiritually for more than 40 years. I've been a congregational leader, a trained spiritual director, and a meditation coach, and I've been a lifetime student of spiritual practices and traditions. The topic today is, Who Was Jesus for Christ's Sake? A parable. Once upon a time, there was a vast and rocky wilderness and a trail that went through that wilderness. And it was a tough trail through the desert. And through this rough track, humanity was making its pilgrimage. And at one time, a clear spring of water bubbled up, and it was so welcomed by the pilgrims on that road. And that water slaked not only the thirst, but people's deeper needs as well. It healed them in spirit and body. Having drunk that living water, people's lives became rich with new meanings. So, some of the pilgrims decided that they needed to, to protect that spring from harm and from other pilgrims. So uh, they ran to roll boulders all around it, you know, almost to the point where it was hard to find the spring. And then actually more and more barriers were erected to protect the spring. And actually monuments to the spring came up. And finally, the spring was enclosed by this vast cathedral. And there was a special cast of men, I said men, until there was no longer any free access because it was the men, the special cast of men who decided who would have access to the spring. And there was no longer free access and wars were fought about what the spring meant and disagreements about how pure the spring was. And actually what ended up was the, the spring became bricked over and, and lost from view and no longer accessible to anyone. Ceremonies celebrated what the spring had done for people in past centuries while the people outside were dying of thirst. Now, there were some people, they were called prophets. They protested this blocking of the living waters. While they were alive, they were often persecuted and even killed. But after a while, monuments were built to them. You know, and most people avoided this place of living water. And they survived as best they could. 
This parable is from the Canadian Jesus scholar Tom Harper in his book, For Christ's Sake. And this parable is meant to describe what the Christian church has done to the living waters, which are the teachings of Jesus. Historically, an itinerant rabbi from the first century, from the province of Nazareth. Harper writes, We can define the intention and mission of Jesus as one of liberating people from their fear and reestablishing the faith and trust that allow life to flow. In a sense, the whole summons of Jesus on God's behalf is this. Become what you are. Realize your God-given potential. Take power to be the son or daughter of God that you already are. Now, this time of year, we're reminded that conservative commentators talk about the so-called war on Christmas, the war on Christmas, uh, because Christmas is about Jesus. Christmas is about Christ. It's not about Santa Claus or commercialism or anything else. And this war on Christmas expresses itself by people not saying Merry Christmas, and they should. As for myself, if someone offers me good wishes, whatever good wishes, whether it's the form of Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, I think it's rude to take offense. But the war on Christmas people insist that Christmas is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. So the question is, which Jesus? Is it about the religion about Jesus that the church has historically talked about, or is it the religion that Jesus himself taught? This is a personal sharing now. It's my understanding and my relationship to this great teacher of long ago. I've had a lifetime project of trying to define the teachings of Jesus and their relationship to my own life and faith. I was brought up in a strictly fundamentalist family, and I, even then, was able to deeply love and relate to the Jesus that was described in the Gospels. But after a while, I could no longer accept the teachings about original sin, about how Jesus had to die because of me and what I did. So I hesitate to call myself a, a Christian anymore because there's so many misunderstandings about that word and so many, so many definitions of that word. And it's important to realize that, that Christ was not Jesus' last name, as most people think. The idea of Christ was a title of, that came about in early Christianity that described his messianic status. It's a 
it's derived from the Greek version of the Messiah, of the word Messiah, Christos. So when people ask me these days, are you a Christian? I say, you have to ask my neighbor. You'll have to ask my neighbor. So here's, here's what I have discovered. There's good news. The gospel, the word gospel means good news in Greek. Uh, and in the gospels, there's all this good news. And later traditions have distorted our view of Jesus. These are the sticks, the stones, and the bricks that are blocking the living spring of the teachings of Jesus. But we can still see in the Gospels, especially if we understand the historical context in which Jesus taught, we can get the good news, I think. Jesus was a pious Jew, and and he would have been he would be scandalized by what people in the churches are saying about him now especially now when christian nationalism threatens to overtake protestantism in the united states this whole idea of jesus being god would have been absolutely unthinkable and scandalizing for this pious jew for me, part of his appeal is that he was a human being. So he showed us what human beings could be like at their best. He was human. The Gospels describe times of inappropriate anger, of self-pity, of peevishness. And, you know, dogma was something that he fought against, argued against in all of his teachings. And it's ironic that there's so much dogma in his name. He really didn't speak dogma himself. He didn't speak so much about beliefs and what beliefs were right and what beliefs were wrong. He talked about living, and he did it in a way that it would go deep into the consciousness and the hearts of his listeners. He used parables. He used stories. He used ironic one-liners. He talked about the objects and the relationships and the experiences of the everyday lives of his listeners, and he related to their problems and their yearnings. And he delighted in baiting the religiously sanctimonious. There's example after example of the Gospels where he does that. There's some who say that Jesus was a party animal because he was criticized for hanging out with people that the sanctimonious decided were disreputable. Prostitutes and others people that were despised by society because they were closer to hearing his message. And anyone who was listened would be welcome to be near him, including, you know, zealots, people who were opposed to 
Roman rule under which people of his time lived. And that's what finally killed him. Crucifixion was a form of execution that was reserved in the Roman Empire for political crimes. For his time, one of the ways that Jesus fought against the dogma of, of his day was, for his time, you could almost say that he was a feminist. He had women disciples. When women were not supposed to listen to teachings, he used feminine in, images of God's love in his teachings. So what were his teachings? I find them inexhaustible. They represent a profound understanding of the laws of the cosmos and of the inner being of humans. And here's what he taught. He taught a transformation from a state of fear to a state of joy and trust. You hear this all the time. You read it in those Gospels. Fear not. Fear not. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You know, what's translated most commonly in English as blessed are the meek, in, in the original Greek actually would be closer, blessed are the debonair, that's the French translation. Blessed are the carefree. So Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. Now, what, what's the kingdom of God? Well, people were expecting a Messiah, uh, a new person to come down, anointed by God to restore Israel's glory and to uh, take the Romans away. But Jesus said, no, the kingdom of God is an inner state. The kingdom of God is also all around you in the beautiful world of creation within you and around you. Because, see, Jesus saw God as a loving parent. Abba was the original language, uh, from the original language that Jesus spoke, Aramaic, meaning daddy or papa. He would, and in the, in the Greek New Testament, this Aramaic word survives, Abba, father, daddy. And that was quite an unusual way to look at God from the people around because they saw God as a distant authoritarian sovereign. That's why I use the word kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is within you. And if you understood this deep relationship of this loving aspect of the divine, then you would see the world differently. You could let go of your cares and worries. You could change your perspective. And that's what the word repentance means, a change of heart. The poor, they heard this message. They found hope in this message, and the rich were threatened. Jesus also taught passive resistance, you know, we see this, we often uh, hear this quote of Jesus about if 
of turning the other cheek. If someone hits you on the right cheek, turn on the left cheek, turn him on the right cheek, turn the left to him as well. Well, this doesn't mean that you just passively accept abuse and oppression. But the context here is a slave or a servant is reprimanded by a slap on the right cheek. And if they were to be violent against that, that would be the end of them. What Jesus counseled was to turn that other cheek and say, okay, you can hit me here, but know that I am a human being with choice. I do not accept this act. I insist on my dignity of choice. That's a really different way to see this oft-quoted teaching of Jesus. And so Jesus taught radical love. Now, I heard a wonderful talk by the author Kurt Vonnegut about Jesus' teachings. Love your brother. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Forgive those. Forgive those who have hurt you. Kurt Vonnegut said, well, you know, love is too strong a word. If we just take the word respect, and that's really what Jesus meant, to respect the dignity of the other and to act in such a way that you do that. So who is Jesus to me? Well, he's not my savior in the classical sense. Though, to the extent that I've been able to follow his teachings, I've grown in wholeness and integrity, for that's what salvation means, growing in wholeness, healing, becoming more authentic. The best way to describe it is it's the relationship of a teacher to a disciple. And it seems to me that for most of the church, it's his death and resurrection that's important. But for me, it's his life and teaching. Jesus died because he told the truth. He didn't die because God was angry at us and therefore had him take our punishment like some kind of cosmic whipping boy. That cross has always been a stumbling block for me. You know, physical resurrection, are we to believe that? Well, the disciples certainly felt his presence, but physical resurrection, I'm not sure. And then I visited Central America, and there I saw images in the struggle for um, overthrowing oppressors, a peasant uh, painted on a cross. The idea here was that Jesus was being crucified, that the divine dignity was being crucified. But of course, out of that death comes a rebirth, a resurrection. When fear is conquered, we can live for others and our death becomes meaningful. As in the case of Archbishop Oscar Romero, as is the case of Martin Luther King, as is the case of the Hindu, Gandhi. For perfect love casts all fear. 
and love is the meaning of life. You've been listening to the Spiritual Fulfillment Podcast with Reverend Dr. Arvid Strabi. Let me respectfully remind you that life and death are of ultimate concern. Time passes swiftly by and opportunity is lost. Wake up. Wake up. Do not squander your precious life. Until next time.